So excited. What a joyful morning of worship and celebration. Thank you guys so much, all of you that were on the stage just now. Thank you for leading us in such spirit-filled celebratory music. Um, This morning, I want to invite you to open in God's Word to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is where we're going to be spending our time together today. And it's going to be a wonderful time of considering the cross. Now, you might be tempted to say, Chad, you missed the memo. The cross was Friday. Today is the empty tomb. Today's when we celebrate the resurrection. We don't keep talking about the cross um, at the resurrection. These two things are separated. If there's no cross, then there's no resurrection. And if there's no resurrection, then there's no power of the cross. And we are a people who uniquely believe in the power of the cross. That's why we do so much of what we do. I want to share with you some of the things that I'm excited about that I have seen God at work this week. I was so grateful yesterday as over 80 children came through throughout the course of the morning to, to build a little resurrection garden and to be able to consider the story of the cross and the tomb and then the empty tomb. I'm so thankful for that, but not only because I'm thankful for Nicole Bandy and Rochelle Zahner and their leadership to our preschool and children ministry, but I'm also grateful because I got a letter this week from one of our members who's in her 90s, a woman named Miss Barbara Canost. And Miss Barbara sent a sweet Easter card. You that send Easter cards, keep doing it. It is such a cool and lost art. Uh, it's such a wonderful thing. Um, she sent an Easter card and she said, I may not be able to do much, but I can pack Easter eggs. And, and she said, so I packed mine and had my granddaughter drop them off um, at the church. And so I'm so thankful for, for members like you, like Miss Barbara Canost, uh, who may be watching from home. Happy Easter, Miss Barbara, um, that still are engaged because she knows that this is a unique time for us to reach children with the gospel. And so if we can use something like a little plastic Easter egg to be able to, to be part of telling the good news of Jesus Christ, to, to use something like an empty egg to talk about an empty tomb, we want to utilize all of those things for the glory of God. But I'm also aware of this week how we continue to go into our city. This morning, I've been able to interact with several new believers who over the next couple of weeks are going to be baptized in their faith. And it's because you, the church, are engaged in doing the work of making disciples of all nations. So don't miss that. And don't miss that that's exactly what this letter is being written to, is to a church that has experienced the power of the gospel and has been changed by it But Paul knows that you and I need constant reminders. There's things that we know really well, but then we forget. You know, I know some things about my family. I know things that that are really important to showing love to my wife and to my kids. Each one of them are unique. And and I know that, that some of them value quality time the most. Some of them value a thoughtful gift. Some of them value words of affirmation more. Some of them value physical touch, like a good hug and those things. But isn't it amazing how those that we love most sometimes are the ones we most easily neglect? Knowing what I know acutely about my loved ones, I can begin to neglect the very thing that I know best about them, namely what we call love language. You know, how it is that they receive love. Brothers and sisters, it's like we become disconnected from the Father and from the Son and from the Holy Spirit, from God. 
by neglecting those things that are the source of experiencing his love for us over and over and over again. And that's why Paul writes, as he does in 1 Corinthians, to the church. He, he starts off in verse 1, Paul called as an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints with all those in every place who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and yours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice he just said, everywhere, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus. So this letter's for you. If you call on the name of the Lord Jesus, if you say Jesus is my Savior and Lord, then this is being written to you. Even though written 2,000 years ago, although Corinth, not New Orleans, and even though we have a lot in common, uh, both port cities, both known for our good times, if you will, um, all of those kind of things, we have a lot in common. He's writing to them, but he is writing to us because this is God's word, his living word, and it is still having effect on you and I today. But it's important for us to note that what he's about to say about the cross is all bound up with the resurrection. In fact, I want you to hold your place in chapter 1 for just a moment as we kind of get ready to dive in and to stand for a reading of God's Word in a few minutes from chapter 1. I just want you to hear from chapter 15. Turn over to chapter 15 in 1 Corinthians because he sets things up in chapter 1 talking about the cross, but it's not because he's forgotten the resurrection. In fact, what he says in chapter 15, verse 12, he says, Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation... And what he's talking about there is a very specific proclamation. It's the proclamation we're going to see in chapter 1. It's this core message that he's proclaiming, Christ crucified. This is what he's getting at. Then our proclamation is in vain. And so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God. So it's not only that they, well, this is futile, but, but we are actually bearing false testimony against God. Because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead are not raised. And if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. Notice that Paul hasn't lost the importance of the resurrection but it's seemingly this reality of the resurrection that makes the proclamation of the cross all the more central, all the more important. This is what Paul is going to get at as he brings us into God's word. Now, it's important to note that as we dive into this, he's also speaking to a congregation that's somewhat divided. This is a group of people that as he begins to address them and he thanks them and he acknowledges the work of God's spirit among them, he also then immediately begins to deal with this reality that there are divisions in the church. 
that there are things that are separating people. Notice in, in verses, in, starting in chapter 1, verse 10, he says, Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. For it's been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by members of Chloe's people, that there is rivalry among you. What I'm saying is this. One of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into Paul's name? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say you were baptized in my name. I did, in fact, baptize the household of, of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't recall if I baptized anyone else, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ would not be emptied of its effect. So this is the ramp up. This is us building up to the context to understand a very key reality that we have to hold on to as resurrection people. Because at the same time that you and I are resurrection people who gather most on this Sunday, Easter Sunday, to celebrate the resurrection, we are also cross people. We are people of the cross and we are people who proclaim the cross of Christ just as we proclaim the resurrection of Christ Jesus. But Paul leads with this. He reminds them of this. He reminds them of this central reality. And I wanna invite you to stand now for the reading of God's word as we're gonna pick up in chapter one, verse 18 and read down through verse 25. Paul writes, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But it is the power of God for us who are being saved. For it's written, I will destroy the, the wisdom of the wise and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For Jews ask for signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. God, I pray that today, through the clear message of the gospel that your power to save would be on display and that your power to keep on saving through the gospel and through returning to the gospel again and again and again would be experienced in the body so that your spirit moves with power and that Christ is exalted and we bring glory to you, our Father. Please now inhabit the praise of your people as we give our full attention to your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Brothers and sisters, the resurrection is why we proclaim the cross. The resurrection is why we proclaim the cross. And this is what Paul is getting at. If there is no resurrection, then there's really no reason to proclaim the cross because it's just another death. It's just another death of another person who is possibly causing an insurrection of some sort, a, a group that, that seemingly was a, a fire in the pan and then quickly out. 
But if the resurrection is true, then we must proclaim the cross. And for you and I today, we will understand the significance of that because the cross makes sense of your life if you say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. The cross becomes the template for your existence. Everything about your life starts to take on a cruciform, a a, a cross shape. So that as Jesus has called you and I to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him, it begins to make a lot more sense in light of the cross. But we have to acknowledge a few things that as we go forward in order to take heart, because brothers and sisters, it will be difficult. This road of following Jesus is very hard. It's a road filled with peace and with joy but it is a road of opposition. And Paul doesn't mince any words about that. He doesn't try to placate our fears by telling us, you know, that God's in control and just, you know, quickly moving on about it. He acknowledges the full extent of the opposition that you're going to experience and he tells you why. He tells you why here. And the reason that we first see right out of this text, beginning back in verse 18, which is our central verse for this day, is number one, this, the cross is the dumbest message many people have ever heard. The cross is the dumbest message that people have ever heard. You say, Chad, well, that's pretty, pretty harsh. When Paul says the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, that's the weight of those words. He doesn't just mean a little bit of folly, a little bit of, I don't know that that's wise. He means it is the most absurd, ridiculous thing that people have ever heard. We need to remember this, that when we come to someone and tell them the gospel, they are hearing something that in many cases is the dumbest thing they've ever heard. One of the moments that I experienced this most keenly was when we were on a mission trip to China. And we were there, we had been dropped off in a small village of 200,000, and they called a small village. And we, just by the grace of God, came into a relationship with some English teachers. So they spoke fluently English, but they also had this great influence over the life of an entire school. We began to spend time, and there was one man in particular, his name is Lee. And Lee began to spend time with us. And Lee was an atheist. He was one that was committed to the, the communist party that was in charge, that was ruling China and, and, and all of these things. But we began to spend time with him and go to some of the sites and have meals and talk about things. And, and we knew that sharing about the gospel was somewhat risky business. But, but finally, one day we were just my wife and I and Lee in the car and I began to share the gospel. And and to begin to go through the specifics of the gospel about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and why he died and all these things. And I'll never forget in those moments, I'll never forget the look on Lee's face. It was this look at me as if I had lost my mind. He was like, oh, (laughs) really? Okay, Uh, right. You know, like, whoo, time to let this one out of the car because it was the dumbest thing he'd ever heard. It it didn't immediately make sense. Like, oh, of course, of course, God became flesh and dwelt among us. Of course, he would be sinless all of his life, never failing. Of course, he would die on a cross for me. A man who doesn't even believe this stuff. 
of course. No, for Lee, this was the dumbest thing he had ever heard. And such was the case in the first century, just as it is today in your workplace and in your neighborhood, and in some cases in your family in the 21st century. You see, Paul begins to go on about this of why it is so foolish. And he, and he puts it in terms of two groups that were primary in his world and really are primary in our world today. He says that, number one, it's foolish to those who hold on to religious wisdom. Now, here's the way that he says it in this passage. He talks about how Jews ask for signs. And he's talking about those that are teachers of the law. He's talking about this religious order. He's talking about those who really lean into religion. And, and really look for signs from God for things. So in other words, they're already theists. They believe that there is a God. And they may not all have the same idea about who this God is and how he works with humanity and stuff, but they are looking to God. They're acknowledging essentially a, a higher power and, and that this higher power does things. And so they're looking for a sign. And in fact, we see that right in Jesus's life. The religious people of his day, the Pharisees and the scribes, they would say, what is a sign of this? Uh, show us a sign of this. All the while Jesus is doing sign after sign after sign of healings and casting out demons and even raising the dead. And they say, can you show us a sign? And what does he say to them? No sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. Now, if you'll remember the story of Jonah, Jonah was the guy who was asked to go to Nineveh, to this very godless nation, to bring the, the good news of the gospel. You say, well, no, it wasn't. Chad, there wasn't any gospel. He was calling them to repent. He was telling them of their damnation if they did not repent. And repent they did, but not before Jonah would reject the call of God of bringing this message of hope to the Ninevites and running away from God a storm ensuing as he's at sea, the sailors throwing him over the board. And what happens? Overboard, a fish, a large fish swallows him. And how long is he there? Three days. And then on the third day, by a miraculous work of God, he is spit out onto dry land to then bring this good news of repentance and faith to the Ninevites. And they repent. Now we know the story about Jonah. He's not so happy about this. But the point of what Jesus is saying in this moment of saying, none will be given except the sign of Jonah, is that which we remember this weekend. That on the third day he entered, I mean, that on the first day he entered into the grave, but on the third day, today, he rose victorious. That's the sign of Jonah. But there are still people, just as there were people in the first century saying, I just need a sign. I'll never forget the moment when I was sitting down with someone that I deeply love and respect and we were talking about the gospel and talking about the, the, the ridiculous aspects of this gospel message and, and he's a professing atheist and, and he said, that, I mean, like, Chad, if God would just come down, if he would, I mean, like, literally, if he just came down and I could see him, well, then of course I'd believe and I had to say to him with, with a gentleness, like, I'm not trying to be silly about this, but that is what happened. That, that's what the guy is like, no, 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 no. I know that's what you believe. I'm saying if it actually happened. And I said to him, it actually happened. That, that is actually what this book teaches. And he said, I just can't believe that. 
I'd have to see a sign. I'd have to see a sign. Brothers and sisters, these things become the sign of our faith, the cross, knowing that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and then an empty tomb, all rehearsed and remembered every time someone enters these waters and is baptized, that we have been united with Christ in his death, the cross, buried, but we have also been raised with him, not to remain in the waters, but to leave them changed and walking in new life. But it's not only the religious who are looking for a sign that, he, that, that take the message of the cross as the dumbest message that they've ever heard. It's also those who are looking to secular wisdom and looking to hold on to secular wisdom. The way he says it is they're, they're looking for wisdom. Greeks seek wisdom. And we even understand that John, the writer of the Gospel of John, and then 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then likely the very same John that we see on the island of Patmos that is responsible for, for the book called Revelation at the very end of our Bibles. That this one was concerned about reaching those who were looking for wisdom, who were looking for an understanding, for a reason for all that is, who enjoyed thinking philosophy and thinking about ideas the Greeks who, who gravitated to these things, he begins his gospel. In the beginning was the logos, was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And then verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory of the one and only son from the father. And listen to this, full, couldn't contain any more of grace and truth, full of grace and truth. Those who are seeking a secular wisdom and trying to comport these things, they find it difficult with God's wisdom that says to find strength, you must find it through weakness. It confounds and confuses the wisdom of this age. To be exalted through humility confounds and confuses the wisdom of our day. To be saved through death, confounds and confuses the wisdom of our day. And yet God was pleased, as Paul writes, he was pleased to be able to do his salvation in this way so that he alone receives the glory. The cross remains, as it was in the first century, the dumbest message that many people have ever heard. But just because they don't understand it, just because they do not immediately perceive it does not make it false. Just because something seems too good to be true doesn't mean that it's false. You and I are called to be heralds of this message, but be encouraged that as you herald it, just like it was for Paul, there'll be many who say, and I don't know, that's the, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Because the cross is still the most powerful message many people have ever experienced. You see, yes, to those who are perishing, to those who say there is no God, and then even in hearing this message, still hold on to, the, to this idea that there is no God. They say, this is so dumb. For those who have experienced the power of the cross, they say this, this message of the cross is the most powerful message that I have ever experienced. 
This is where I get excited as a pastor. Can I tell you that just in the last couple of weeks, I have been able to watch the power of the gospel at work in this body of seeing men and women coming to faith in Jesus Christ, of trusting him and following him, of giving their life to him. Just this past week, I had the chance with a new believer to gather at my home with some other believers and we talked for two hours about what the word says about different topics and issues that she was asking questions about. And then as we sat and stood on the porch as she was about to leave, she began to share with tears in her eyes about how she's begun to ask questions of God. Saying, saying, I've just never even thought about these things before, but I've begun to ask God to, to lead me in my thinking, even about the way that I dress. Brothers and sisters, that is a powerful message that begins to transform how you go to the closet each day. I mean, that's a life-encompassing message. To, to speak with, with a, a, a young man and to talk about how the gospel, talking over the phone because you've been faithful to bring the gospel into our city, to be able to, to speak with him and to hear how God is transforming him and how he sees himself differently now in Christ and he wants to be baptized. To be able to, to talk about beginning a discipleship relationship with one of you who is teaching and, and communicating the gospel and the riches of God's word. That is the church being the church and that is the power of this message of believing that I was dead in my sins, but Christ died for me. And when he died for me, he took away my sins that I might have life and that I might have a right relationship with God. You see, it's powerful to those who believe. For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom, Paul writes, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. You see, it's not only powerful to save. It's also the wisdom of God. You see, we had the chance while in China to be able to communicate the gospel with several of the teachers. Lee was our primary contact. And to him, as he began to hear the gospel, he was like, okay, all right. But there was another woman whose English name was Helen. And Helen invited us to her home to come over and to have dinner. And so we were there with her mother. And there, right there in the kitchen is a, is a small little, um, little uh, sacrificial area where they would offer food sacrifices to their ancestors and things like that, just acknowledging that there is something that happens after this life and all these things. So we're in this space where there's incense rising from a little altar, a little sacrificial area with fresh food on it. And we're sitting there at the table and we begin to explain the gospel to Helen. And the very same message that to Lee was like, okay, woo, all right. God began to work in Helen's heart to open her heart. And you could begin to see the look on her face change as she was hearing these things. And then Lee and Helen and the others invited us to their school where we could come in. And they said, we want you to be able to, to speak in our classes. We're teaching the children English and we want them to be able to, to ask questions. And so they would ask questions like this. What's your favorite holiday? Well, that's just like teeing up the ball for us. We were like, man, my favorite holidays are Christmas when we celebrate the birth of God's son and Easter, when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus after he died on the cross for our sins. 
And so we were able to share the gospel in these school formats, but I'll never forget where all of a sudden, as kids are asking questions, and, and one of the kids asked the question about the Long Life River. You see, where we were, there was this incredible density of people over 100 years of age. It's one of the few pockets in the world where there were all these people. We actually had the chance to meet a man that was 118 years old who could remember vividly the death of his parents in the 1800s, killed by the Japanese. I mean, it was extraordinary to be able to behold these people. And this guy walked a flight of stairs to greet us. I mean, it was absolutely incredible. And so the kids, rightly, because people come from all over China and all over the world to bathe in the waters of this river, the Long Life River, to hopefully get a little bit longer life. They said, what do you believe is the source of long life, of long life? And immediately, just by the grace of God, the recall to remember that Paul talks about that there's a, there's a commandment, honor your father and mother, that you may live long in the days that the Lord your God has given you. And, and, and Paul notes that it's, it's one of those commands that seemingly comes with a promise. And you say, Chad, does that mean you never die young if you honor your father and mother? No, no, no. Like, please don't hear it in those ways. But understand this, that in that moment, God was using his word of just recounting to, to these students and answers straight out of Ephesians. I remember watching Helen as she was sitting there and she was listening and she considered this thing. And in that moment, she said, there is truth in what you say. Truth. Jesus, full of grace and truth. And so the same audience, Lee and Helen, were sharing the gospel. God, in his grace, began to move in her heart, opening her eyes to consider these things. And after we left, after communicating the gospel, Helen came to faith, the first known believer in her small village of 200,000. And the missionaries that we were working with there who've all been expelled from the country at this point began to disciple her and to grow her and to communicate a wisdom that comes from God in his word. Because Christ through the cross has become to us not only the power of salvation, but the wisdom of God, the wisdom of God. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, we don't get to determine who believes. It's not what we get to do. We don't get to determine if someone says, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard or if I feel like there's truth in what you're saying. We don't get to decide that. But you and I, like Paul, are called to proclaim this central message of Christ crucified. It will remain a stumbling block to those who are religious, who are moral, who say, no, 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 it's what you do for God that saves you. Not what God has done for you that saves you. Mm -mm. It's you working it up to God. He'll, he'll, pay, he'll pay you salvation for all of your good works stumbling block to them that Christ, even while we were sinners, would die for us. To the wisdom of our age, the wisdom that, that calls us constantly to be better, do more, have right thoughts, win the battle of your mind. Constantly just think the right thoughts, think the right thoughts, and you will conquer everything. 
There's a communication of the gospel that there is one who has conquered everything and wants to conquer you through the power of his love, through his grace, to be your king, for you to belong to him, for you to be his servant and to give your life fully to him. This is what this king desires, to bring you by his grace into his kingdom and then to experience day after day after day salvation. Because notice what verse 18 says. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us, notice what it says, who are being saved. Being saved. You say, did Paul slip up here? Does he mean like who have been saved? Past tense, completed. No, right here in this tense, it's, it's a participle. Being saved. Present tense, right now, you're being saved. Chad, you mean that this message of the cross is how today I'm being saved? And how in a few moments when we leave here, I'll continue to be being saved? Yes. The cross is not something that you believe in childhood and then graduate from. The cross remains central to your understanding of life. And Paul continues on in communicating this in verse 26. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world. What is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing what is viewed as something. So that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus who became wisdom from God. For us, our righteousness, our sanctification, that ongoing process, our redemption, in order that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The cross becomes the form of our life. Denying ourselves. I mean, remember what we just considered on Friday night that Jesus denied himself. Not my will, but yours be done. That's the essence of your denial, of your denying self is saying, not what I want, not what I want, but what you want. Not my will be done, but your will be done. That is the essence of denying self and then taking up your cross and doing whatever it is, whatever sphere you find yourself, of walking and following him that becomes the form of your life. That's how you're being saved. That's why Paul can say that the, this cross remains central, that we preach Christ crucified, not just as an initial message to get you in the club, but as a way of life, as you are constantly, just as Christ was, denying himself and taking up his cross and following the Lord, so your life will be lived. And that then becomes your hope, that if you will take up your cross and follow Jesus, trusting in, in, the, in, the, in, in what he accomplished on his cross for you, and then taking up your cross and following him in the same form, then just as it was with Christ, that he died on the cross, but then he was raised from the grave, that in the day of Christ, you'll be raised. 
And you will receive a resurrected body. You say, well, Chad, what will that body be like? Chapter 15, they're asking the same question. He goes into this. He tries to explain a little bit about what it's going to be like. That, that there's something that it, 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 it's reminiscent of this body, but it's different than this body. It, it's, it's more glorious than this body. It's important for us to understand that the full template of the cross, not only the means to the cross, not only the cross itself, but the cross becomes then how we understand and anticipate the resurrection. Because if there is no resurrection, Paul says, then our faith is in vain. And we're still in our sins. And we are to be pitied more than anybody else on this planet. Why? Because we believe that we've actually been forgiven. And really, we're still carrying around a debt. But you know what? The reality is that anytime we have special times of celebrating something like this, there are people who came in here who are still carrying their debt. And what you've bought into is what Paul warns against here. Number one, it's that religious way of living life that if you'll just do, 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 whatever it is for God, then when you die, He'll look at your account and say, it's a lot of good here. Come in. What a horrible weight to bear. Always wondering, am I good enough? Have I done enough? Rather than being able to trust that there is one who has paid your debt in full, who when he breathed his last, he said these words, it is finished. He didn't just mean Now I'm dying. He meant everything needed to save you and me is done. He paid it in full. And you say, well, Chad, how do I I receive this message? The same way that they received this message in the first century, by faith, by believing. Paul says it pleased God to save those who believed, who believed. And there are some here today who right now or struggling against the wisdom of this age, you are constantly fighting a battle in your mind. You're constantly listening to the, the next self-help book, an audio book, a podcast, watching a TV preacher, whatever you can, trying to fight the battle of your mind rather than surrendering the battle of your mind to Christ and saying, I don't have power over my body. I don't have power over my thoughts. But there is one who is powerful enough to come in and take over and I surrender to him. I give my life to him. There's some here today who needed to hear that your sins are forgiven. They have been paid in full. There are some here who needed to hear that what you're ultimately waiting for is the day of the resurrection when the dead in Christ will be raised. And some of you needed to hear that the reason that life is sometimes difficult is because that's its design. We have a Christ-designed life, a cross-designed life. That's what it's going to look like. It, It doesn't fit the religious wisdom of this day. It doesn't fit the secular wisdom of the day. What it means to follow Christ is to deny yourself, not my will, but yours be done. Take up your cross and follow him daily, daily, being saved. Some of you, this is the day of salvation. I'm excited about God's power to save. For some of you, today's a day of return. You've been walking your own way. 
It's been a while since you denied yourself and said, not my will, but yours be done. Today, you may be a Christian, but you have really drifted in your faith. I encourage you, return to the Lord today. And then for others, today is a day truly of celebrating that by his grace, you have been saved. We pray with me? Father, I pray that today would be a day of salvation, that there would be anyone here, Father, who doesn't know Christ, that today would be the day that they pray a prayer like this. God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that when you gave Christ to die on the cross, he wasn't dying just because of something he did. He was dying because of what I've done. He was paying my debt. He was dying for me. God, I believe, I believe that Christ died for me. And so I'm asking you, God, to forgive all of my sin, to take it away by the blood of Jesus and to bring me into his kingdom. I want Jesus to be the king of my life. And I want my life to be fully given to him and to him alone. If you've just prayed a prayer like that, I want you to know that is what's called the sinner's prayer. It's a prayer of you just being honest with God. But just like Helen in China, who was the only believer in the city where she lived, she needed someone to teach her what this newfound faith meant. So do you. We all need one another. In this Christian family, we need one another. And so I'm gonna ask that today, if you've given your life to Christ for the very first time, that you'll come forward almost like a homecoming to be received by, by one of our pastors who wants to pray for you and who wants to begin to establish you in a relationship with other believers where you'll grow. For some of you, today may be a day that you've been away from the Lord. It's been a long time since you said, God, not my will, but yours be done. You may need to just come and spend some time at these steps and just repenting, saying, God, I am so sorry that I have been going my own way. I return to you. And then some of you in this moment will just wanna stand and worship. But wherever you are, know that God sees you and God is calling you to more, to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him daily. Father, in this moment, will you be glorified as we worship you, as we surrender to you, and as we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's all stand together, but don't hesitate to move from your seat. If you need to come and spend time praying, come and pray. If you need to come spend time with a pastor, come and pray. If you just need to stand there and praise, then you praise and let us worship together.